Blog Talk Radio. The Other Side of the News is a current and dynamic companion to augment the discussions from the other side of midnight. We investigate, explore, and extrapolate facts to gain better understanding of current affairs and events, and thus... To bring comfort and calm to our wide international audience. It's a spontaneous commentary... Based on well-verified references vetted through vigilance and discernment. Our desire is to awaken your imagination with questions. Questions that have not been asked, yet need answering. The other side of the news is a place where you can come and be with us in community. Learning new things, asking questions, getting compelling answers, and interesting viewpoints. It's about curiosity. We present thought-provoking questions to incite your mind, propelling you to see the world in another way. Propelling you to see the world in another way. With clear insights fresh perspectives on global events. Tune in for a balanced view of the other side of the news. Good morning. Good night, good evening. My name is Timothy Saunders. I'm one of your co-hosts on this 31st edition of The Other Side of the News. I'm speaking to you this morning from the Aegean coastline in southwest Turkey, which for many of you is situated on the other side of the planet, which is just as well as we experienced a big shaker today. I will soon be joined by co-host and producer, Kintia, from our infamous wheelhouse in the COVID lockdown state of California, together with co-host and researcher Aneta Driscoll, who continues to sample the hospitality in Ohio. This show is entitled Deciphering the Blockchain Enigma. Cryptocurrency has uh, been on my radar for slightly more than a decade. To be very direct, 10 years ago, I found the very concept challenging to understand, and the term mining, a cryptocurrency, was even more baffling. The first idea simply did not compute. Why would anyone want to purchase a virtual currency with what I then considered to be perfectly good money, pounds, dollars, and euros, etc.? At that time, I still vaguely believed money represented something tangible, something with a real value, like gold. Of course, I was naive and mistaken, for money has not been gold-backed for a very long time indeed. If you take a close look at a banknote, such as a £10 note, apart from the security stripe, watermarks and holograms and microchips, etc., it's basically a piece of paper that states, I promise to pay the bearer on demand the sum of £10. This paper is controlled by the banks, and for most of us, we are obliged to trade our time and energy in exchange for sheets of this paper. What is interesting, when we borrow money from a bank, they do not give us anything tangible like gold. It simply adds some numbers to our accounts in exchange for more of our time and energy at an increased rate called interest or usury. However, when the government wants more money, 
It simply instructs the banks to print more more money or print more paper. Gone are the days when banknotes equal the value of gold deposits. Of course, each new promissory note that is printed then devalues the rest of the existing notes in the world. Another notable point is one of the most circulated bills, the US dollar, is also one of the easiest notes to counterfeit. So what does money actually represent? Have you ever taken a look at any of the websites that show the national debt in real time? You may check my quick links under the show banner. It is incredible to see how the national debt, trillions, billions, and millions of dollars of euros and pounds constantly increase almost hypnotically. In many cases, certain countries have reached a point where it is unlikely they can ever pay off their debts. The US currently has a national debt of slightly more than $27 trillion, a talent-laden number for what was recently cited as the best economy. And in light of this pandemic, it is not only America that is printing money like it's going out of fashion. It seems most governments on this planet are hell-bent on bankrupting us by preventing many businesses from thriving while spending billions on BPG, that's my shortcut for bullshit protective gear, and investing billions in fast-track, potentially harmful, unproven vaccinations for a virus that has not yet even been isolated or properly defined. So how do we recover from this? Well, I'm sure you've heard the phrase order out of chaos. Also, problem, reaction, solution. While the virus may be currently uh, appear to be the problem, in fact, it is simply the catalyst to bring in the new world order, the Great Reset, the Fourth Industrial Revolution. This is not conspiracy theory anymore. This is conspiracy fact. This has all been planned and is clearly documented by people such as the Rothschild Foundation, the Gates of Hell Foundation, the World Economic Forum, Agenda 21, Agenda 30, and most likely the Bilderberg Group, oh, the IMF, the UN, and the Vatican probably, all being rolled out by a government near you soon. Part of this new normal is to do away with dirty COVID-invested greenbacks, be replaced by a digital currency, such as the digital dollar, the, the virtual euro, the electronic pound, There are many currently in development, and some countries have digital currency in circulation already in favor of cash. So what is the difference, you may ask? Well, a digital currency in conjunction with your ID, connected by the Internet of Things and powered by our new 5G networks, will assist the minority to know who is buying what, where, when, and most likely why. So that will take the creativity out of uh, end of your taxes. Not only can they tax us at source, we may also be controlled at source. Just imagine if you go out to see a movie with your significant other. She's allowed in, but you are stopped because you have a black mark for, who knows, not properly anti-social distancing or perhaps something less absurd. So how can cryptocurrency potentially play on an important role in maintaining our freedom and retaining our sovereignty? To focus on such a cryptocurrency, let's say Bitcoin, which was developed by an anonymous entity in 2009 called Satoshi Nakamoto. Bitcoin so far has proven to be one of the most mature and resilient cryptocurrencies and rose from an insignificant initial value to nearly $20,000 per coin in 2017. Today, the price is cruising around the $13,000 mark 
and is showing an upward trend. The key factor with Bitcoin is that it exists outside of the banking system and it is believed outside of the governments. Each Bitcoin has a unique encrypted number, part of a blockchain system, which is held secret by its owner. This enables it to be traded quickly through specialized exchanges to buy fiat country, currencies, metals, and an increasingly large, large number of other products. There are Bitcoin ATMs and even numerous cryptocurrency debit cards available. There is an incredible surge right now with cryptocurrencies. There are literally hundreds to choose from. However, Bitcoin was recently adopted by PayPal to the tune of a $50 billion stimulus deal, which is another positive sign that Bitcoin continues to gain traction. Further, Bitcoin is unique as mining will be capped at 21 million Bitcoins, which suggests its value will continue to increase, begs the question, does cryptocurrency present a real opportunity to invest safely outside of the banking system, leading to a new dawn in the noble transaction system? I very much look forward to hearing our guest perspective regarding this awakening process, all with a view to illuminate the best path to lead us to a positive outcome. You may find us at www.theothersideofmidnight.com. Click on the other side of the news in the drop-down menu. Kindly scroll down to tonight's white, the other side of the news show banner. There you will see details for the show, quick links to our bios, as well as links to our show items, references, and selected research. As usual, there's a huge collection of information to read, watch, and listen to, most of which has been handpicked from independent sources. I urge you to watch them, even download copies of them sooner than later, as censorship robots are working around the clock to rewrite our history in real time. As we positively encourage our listeners to co-create a better future, you will find the call-in telephone number below tonight's banner. If you have a relevant question or perhaps would like to share an important observation, please dial 1 if you're outside of North America, followed by 917-889-8802. You will come through our sound engineer in the control tower, Keith Morgan, who will guide you to an appropriate entry into our conversation. We will take calls in the last 45 minutes of this two-hour show after we have laid out the foundations of our discussion. During the last seven revolutions, we have once again seen many remarkable events in the news. To discuss each topic and to present each one in correct context could easily fill up a show by itself. But let's go through a few. As Trump and Biden continue to battle it out in the presidential version of America's Got Talent, as the UK is locking down again due to a case-demic, even selected presenters on fringe mainstream media are now asking direct questions to experts regarding the absurdity of this COVID lockdown. We see the Spanish are taking to the streets while objecting to heightened lockdown measures. And it seems, regrettably, terrorism has once again reared its ugly head in France. Is this an attempt to add a little more fear while uh, antagonizing racial difference? Time will tell. Despite all of this, I believe it will be far more productive to invest our time with our guests this evening. Despite the initial unpleasant realization of the truth, you will see there is light at the end of the tunnel. There is an increasing number of respected journalists, writers, politicians, doctors, lawyers, influencers, and activists who are wide awake and are already making great impact. All we require from you is to unplug from the mainstream and social media propaganda 
to make your own independent research, to stop acquiescing, stand up for what you believe in, the respect to others. Max Wright, our guest, is such an individual, and I look forward to him joining us shortly. Good evening, Kintia. Good evening, Aneta. How are you both? Good evening, Timothy. Aneta, <laughs> you're there too? I'm here. Yes, I am. <laughs> uh, well, I'm... I'm uh, Really heartened by the responses I'm seeing around the world. Robert Kennedy Jr.'s speech, freedom speech, in my links is really powerful. And what I'm extremely heartened by is the uh, the rescuing of missing children. I know this is a difficult topic, and eventually we'll do a show on it, but it's so important that the world realized there are there are poor souls who are trapped and something is being done and the US marshals are continue to bring out and rescue children and I'm grateful for that executive order that was making it possible. On the other side here in the Bay Area near San Francisco, I continue to see people programmed in fear most disturbing to me was to see a young mother wearing a mask. I mean, pregnant mother, pregnant, wearing a mask. What can you do? You know, (laughs) Ah, we just take it day by day. I know that we are all looking for, for a path to freedom, not, you know, financial freedom, spiritual freedom, personal freedom. And that's why I'm really excited to have Max on tonight because he has found a doorway to access some of that lifestyle. And I certainly know I'm going to benefit from talking with him. Annetta? Well, I am still in Ohio. Uh, I'm beginning to wonder when I am going to get home. Uh, But uh, things are really about the same here. Um, Those are really a mass... uh, brainwashing. I, I don't know if there's anything left. Um, I, I went out to a dinner tonight with a friend and when we, she popped a mask on, we went in, which I was like, why, why would you put one on to go across the parking lot to walk into a restaurant to take it off? You can sit down in restaurants here uh, with limited seating and the, and the owners of this particular restaurant were very strange about that, but that's another whole story. Um, but then we also, we had a, we were maskless, of course. It's pretty hard to eat with one of those things on. And then uh, came out and she put it on and I said, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? And then eventually, and I, I had to ask the question three times and eventually she said, I guess it's just a habit. And I said, that's exactly the problem, you know? So this thing is it's habitualized. I'm not even thinking about it anymore. Um, not everybody's like that. I mean, I'm certainly not. I, I haven't put a mask on uh, at all since I've been here. Um, but, uh, you know, this concerns me that, that people are pretty well just taking it as uh, the normal, the new normal. That's what they kept trying to program. And it seems to have taken a foothold for certain people. So I'm hoping and praying that things start to change, but that's, what I'm observing. That's my observation. Yeah, it's a question of breaking those habits. 
definitely. It's become a habit before people can even realize that it's doing them any harm. So I really do hope they break them. Well, on this side, we had a little bit of a shaker today. We had a 6.9. It was somewhere in the Aegean Sea, uh, which is off the coastline I'm on, and in Izmir, which is one of the larger cities in Turkey. Uh, unfortunately, they lost around 20 buildings and a number of people have been confirmed killed. Um, I don't know, the numbers seem quite small at the moment. I don't want them to grow, but if 20 buildings came down and people were not locked down, but let's just say at home rather than out partying, uh, one would assume that the number would be more than 19. So I, I do hope it won't re- rise, but it was it was quite a shaker even two and a half, three hours drive away, which is how far I am from Izmir. Uh, And yeah, everybody has experienced these things once in a while, but this was a real sideways number. You know, um, the room was moving left and right, left and right, as opposed to up and down. So uh, yeah, I just hope everybody will be calm and um, it all comes good. It's good to release the tension from the tectonic plates, but unfortunately, yeah, there were victims along with it. So that's my news from here. Well, I think this is a great time to uh, introduce our guest. So uh, tonight we have Max Wright. He's a successful entrepreneur, investor, economist, and father. As a crypto analyst investor, he has a really great knack, a great track record for predicting the Bitcoin market. He's been an online entrepreneur since 2008, holding a number of different web properties with revenues of more than $5 million per year. Wright understands the subtleties of the global investing markets, stocks, precious metals, real estate, fiat currency, and digital currencies, where they've been and where they're going. In 2011, Max began the successcouncil.com, which instructs customers on how to protect their assets and profits during the coming economic collapse. Max and other council members discuss international financial markets, banking systems, history, monetary science, political science, and self-sustainability. Max has a book, The Bitcoin Revolution, Ending Tyranny, for fun and profit. And it was the top ranked and most downloaded Bitcoin uh, related book at the time that it came out on Amazon. So Max, welcome to the other side of the news. So pleased to have you with us. Thank you so much for having me. Great, great. So uh, our audience may like enjoy knowing that you're from Australia and uh, 10 years ago you made a leap from there. And I'm just so curious before we delve deep into the Bitcoin question, if you have any reflections about what's going on in Australia or what you would say to that? Yeah, it's, it's, it is a little bit embarrassing, honestly, from my perspective, the, the lockdowns there and the, the, the ridiculous, no, ridiculousness of it. But this is something uh, I've seen um, for quite a while. The trend is, is just it's something that I've identified for well over a decade. And one of the reasons I left, um, I remember going back about 10 years ago 
and um, I went out. To, this was not the way I was like when I grew up, but I went out to a steak restaurant and we had a steak with a little bit left over, and and uh, we said, um, "Oh, can we grab a little to-go to box here? Can we a doggy bag? They call it in Australia. Can we take this home?" And they, they said, "Oh, sorry, sir, we, we we don't do that anymore." I was like, "What? What do you mean?" He said, "Well, we don't have a license for that anymore." I said, "I beg your pardon. You're a steak restaurant, but I can't take my leftovers with me." I said, "No. A little while back, uh, someone took some leftovers um, and left it in the back of their car. Didn't refrigerate it. Ate it the next morning and got sick. So they created the takeout license, and we have to pay a license now. It's about thirty thousand dollars a year to allow you to take <laughs> oh to allow our customers to take. So it's this." I mean, uh, there was another one. It was like at one of the, like an absolute five-star restaurant. But, uh, sorry, five-star hotel, premium hotel in Sydney. Um, and I ordered room service, and I asked for my burger medium rare. And um, they, what, what, do you, what do you? No, I'm sorry, we we can't do that, sir. It's it's illegal. You can't have you can't have meat medium rare. That's a health risk. I was like, well, I don't like meat any other way than medium rare. So we've got to do something. So about 90 minutes later, um, a, a, a disclaimer arrives on my door, which I'm able to sign, disclaiming the, the risks associated with eating um, medium-rare cooked meat uh, <laughs> on a burger. And another hour after that document is signed, I get the burger, and it's, of course, cooked well done. <laughs> the, the, the philosophy, it's, it is just so sad to see this mentality take root that the government is there to protect us from everything. And every the the, the 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 justification is that everyone is too stupid to think for themselves, and we need a committee of wise people known as a government to just nanny every single one of our decisions on a trivial trivial level, and it it just blows my mind. And honestly, as sad as it is, the the ridiculous response um, with the lockdowns in Australia didn't shock me at all because they've been trending in this direction more and more. Is every single year, so it's very, very sad. Talk about micromanaging. Well, I'm curious do do you see the Australians being able to to stand up for themselves and turn this around, or because they've given up their guns, are they helpless? I mean, certainly, uh, the the yeah, they did give up their guns. Uh, I think about twenty or thirty years ago. Uh, I was just a, a teenager, I think, at the time. And um, that definitely has a big, big impact. Societies that give up their guns, the explosion of government that happens in the decades following is significant. And that mentality, the, the very mentality of let the government taking care of you is the disease. It's the, it's the, that same disease allows the guns to get taken in the first place and then allows all the things that follow after that cause is that, that belief that government should be there to take care of you. Um, and once you subscribe to that belief, then all it, all it means is an argument that some people will be saved and that the growth of governments and, and tyranny will take place. Oh. Well, this sort of segues into uh, the topic to tonight because I was reading somewhere that you moved, you were a traditional investor, I, I believe, and you moved into Bitcoin because you saw it as being a path to freedom. Is that correct? Am I interpreting that right? Yeah, I think that's a pretty good interpretation. Um, I, I understood, for whatever reason, I've had a passion for economics and monetary science. And I can't even tell you why, 
but I harassed my 12th grade, you know, high school economics teacher. I used to ask her a question. I can clearly remember asking this question. And I asked it of my 10th grade teacher and I asked my 12th grade teacher. Uh, and I even, I did a degree in electrical engineering and I went over to the economics department and I asked them because no one ever had an answer for me. But the question was this, when everybody, if everyone emptied their pockets, you know, in 1910, then, and you counted up all the dollars and everyone emptied their pockets in the year 2000 and emptied their pockets, we'd have more money now than then. What's the mechanism by which money gets introduced into the system? And from my college to my high school, no one knew the answer. No one could tell me. And I was just fascinated from from very early age. And eventually the internet came around and I managed to get my answer online. And I, it, for very obvious reasons, it does not get taught because uh, it, 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 is, uh, it is, I think, a quite a dastardly, quite an evil uh, scheme, and it is an invisible taxation. The answer is, uh, so I'll, I'll maybe go into it deeper if you wish, but in a short answer, um, it, the answer is inflation. They, are, they print money, and what the cost to us is the cost of uh, the money that is in our hands or the value of the money that is in our hands goes down. And the purchasing power of the dollars that we hold gets stolen by the people who print the money. And, uh, and what, once that was understood and I realized what was happening, I realized I didn't want to be sa- working hard, paying my taxes, saving money after taxes, and then getting whacked with an inflation tax after it and watching my savings evaporate. I wanted to find out why I wanted to put in something that would be a more long lasting and beat inflation. And I originally started um, working with uh, gold and silver and I'm still an advocate of gold and silver. Um, but then during that course, uh, Bitcoin came out and I was lucky enough and fortunate enough to get wind of it relatively early. And I had that passion for economics and monetary science. So I understood the significance of it very, very quickly and was able to get involved at an early date, which has obviously been very, very good to me um, over the last few years. Well, one thing that I'm curious about, because like anytime I talk to someone about Bitcoin, they immediately go to, oh, it's a scam. It's a scam angle. And I was looking at some of your videos and noticing how the flow of Bitcoin actually is like paralleling the stocks and paralleling real estate at different times. And so I'm wondering, like, when you became aware of the idea of Bitcoin, how did you, I mean, what was it that convinced you it wasn't a scam? And how did you move forward into it? Gotcha. So probably the most important thing about Bitcoin that answers that question is that Bitcoin is an open source code. For those of you who don't know what that means, that means you can, you can go and look at the code and see what it does. Now, obviously you need to have a little bit of programming skills to do that, but you can also take solace in the fact that just the fact that it is open source, it means hundreds of thousands, if not millions of pairs of eyes have looked at the code. It's not like, uh, you know, it's like if you buy um, you know, Microsoft Windows or Microsoft Office or something like that, that's what's called closed source. You get a disk. If you try and look at the files, it all looks like j- uh, jargon and all looks like uh, weird characters. And you can't see what, ma- what the code is doing. You can only see how you use it on your end. You don't know what's happening in the background. Bitcoin is different. It's open source. You can go in and actually read the pre-compiled code and see exactly what it is doing. So it ha- in that um, in, in that way, it is 100% transparent. You can you can investigate it, 
see exactly how it works and you know that millions of people have done the same and investigated it and look to see how it works. And so you can be confident that it does do what everyone is saying it does. Wow, that's encouraging. That's encouraging, really. Um, so now it seems like everybody's hearing about Bitcoin. They're hearing about Bitcoin. And and I think a lot of people are going to want to jump into this and I've heard cautionary tales. Is there a way that you would recommend for someone to jump into to this field or learn about it in yeah. a sane way? <laughs> yeah. So, well, I mean, I, I would like to think I provide a pretty good education on this uh, on my YouTube channel. So that's a great place to start. Um, YouTube.com slash success council. And I think you've got a link in your show notes there as well. Um, but that is, but honestly, my, my, premier learning way is oh, that's where I'm learning mostly. I'm learning on YouTube and I'm learning from if I wanted to understand more about the code, I learned from programmers. If I want to learn more about monetary science, I learned from monetary scientists. Um, and so my main way is learning. But the cautionary tales I think you're referring to are important. Um, there, in fact, I, I just spoke to a girl today, really, really sad story. And she woke up, I could almost hear the tears on the other side of the phone. And she was like, hey, Max, I, 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 I saw one of your videos and I know you said to watch the security videos first, but I didn't. I just wanted to get involved in Bitcoin as quickly as possible. And I did. And then I had all my st money stolen and hacked that she had put into Bitcoin. And she was super dejected and super sad. Um, and oh, I get that. Max, sorry, yeah. we're at the bottom of the hour. You're listening mm -hmm. to the other side of the news. Our guest tonight is Max Wright. Deciphering the Blockchain Enigma. We'll return after the break. There's a couple of ways that you can help tonight and what this show needs to do, and that's by supporting the program. Club 19.5, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's the price of uh, a few cups of coffee or a couple of lattes if you go with your, your partner. Um, and you can have all the shows in the past and the special features that we offer more and more, and there's more coming up. We've got some exciting stuff coming up. And the other way is there's a donate button. Um, again, with a show like this, all of us contributing as much as we can, energy in itself. It makes things go, talking about revolutions and moving, <laughs> moving things forward. So on the homepage is a donate button. On your phone, it would be on your navigation menu. And on each page, as you are sort of going through the show, if you're on the homepage and you click on our show banner and go through, it's on the left-hand side at the very top, on the left-hand column. They are so few, they're in the thousands. We are billions, we are billions of people. So they need technology, very advanced technology today to control us. And that is where AI, 5G comes in. And then through the vaccine also get rid of two thirds of us. So it's like a very, very, very dark agenda is their want 
to play out. When I tell you, the way I see the future, oh my God, fantastic. Oh, like my mom said, fan-bloody-tastic. Hi, this is all about good from LightOnConspiracies.com. You know, over the years I've done some 500 to 1,000 international interviews, and I just want to say the other side of the news is one of my favorite shows. So enjoy. side of the news this evening. We have our guest, Max Wright, and just before Blake, Cynthia was asking a question about um, how to get started, and and uh, Max was in, answering that question about security and hacking, so I think we should probably, you know, complete that question there if we could, Max. Yeah, certainly. So, um, uh, the, the one of Bitcoin's greatest features is also one of its scariest and dangerous, and its best feature is that it's possible to handle millions, even billions or trillions of dollars without using banks or any other intermediaries. You are the master of your domain. Now, the downside of that is that you have an enormous responsibility to um, be security conscious. If, if you make mistakes, if you uh, lose your password, if you forget it, if something goes wrong, you can't email anybody and say, hey, I forgot my password. Can you please reset it? that means you've lost access to whatever funds that they, you had there. That could be dollars or it could be billions of dollars. So um, there, is, there is a thing there. Now, when I started in Bitcoin, that's all there was. You had to take extreme care of your money. Uh, now there are a lot of other solutions, um, sort of let's call them trusted custodian solutions. You can even now insure your Bitcoins. And I think for people... Um, if you want to do what, what I've done and, and many people have done, you can learn the security of Bitcoin. It's really not that complicated, but it's not the sexiest topic in the world either. Um, but if you want to go to the trouble, most people can get pretty clear about the security aspects of, of Bitcoin within a couple of hours. And it's probably going to lead you down a path of a hardware wallet using something like a Trezor or a Ledger. These are like $100 devices that you can get on Amazon. And it's going to be really, really quite secure for the vast majority of people. But if you don't want to go down that path, nowadays we have some really, really good options as well. Uh, one option is I think probably the best and safest exchange out there is Kraken. That's Kraken.com, K-R-A-K-E-N. And that's a place where you can both buy Bitcoin, you send the money, and they let it, they turn into Bitcoin. And letting them hold your Bitcoin is a pretty safe option, depending on how careless you might be in terms of losing things. It might even be safer than keeping it yourself. Um, and then there's another level uh, above that where you can go to a certain custodians and they will hold it and insure it for you. And it's even as simple now. We have um, what's called something called the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, and its ticker symbol is GBTC. And I believe right there from inside you know, Ameritrade or 
Charles Schwab or whatever your favorite trading app is, wherever your funds are, you can actually just buy that ticker symbol. And it's a, it's a fund that actually goes and buys Bitcoin for you, holds it for you. And, um, and, and, and if you ever sell, then they sell it for you. And so it all just sits there right inside your TD Ameritrade or Charles Schwab type account. So there's lots of different ways to, to do it now that are, um, and, you know, arguably the, the safest and, and, and what would be the word, um, the most secure is if you do it yourself. But that does come with a lot of responsibility. And for some people, that's not to their taste. And they would like to trust institutions that are insured and things like that. And so those, those alternatives are available now, too. So that's, I feel like we kind of jumped to the end there with how to get involved in Bitcoin. But I don't know, did you have more questions about why to get involved in Bitcoin? Because I think oh, that's yeah, probably I, the I most do. important. <laughs> yeah, go for it. Okay. Um, yeah, so I was really... I, I, I've been thinking about how to ask all these questions and I, I have stacks of them so we can kind of jump around. But um, the first thing I'd love to hear, I think that, that people that are new to this would love to understand is that where this is in the, the history of, of uh, creating economies, because there's a lot of people that feel like it's a scam. It's just made up. And then there's the other side that feels like, well, this is a new layering in a commodity type thing that's in our economy. Um, and historically, you know, that we add on to things through time. Can you speak to that? Yeah, I think your, your question kind of gets to the heart of it. In order to truly, truly appreciate Bitcoin and really, really get excited about what it can do for the world, and I think it can bring a lot of freedom um, and independence. And I really do believe the title of my book was Ending Tyranny for Fun and Profit. I really think that title is as true today as it ever was. I really do believe Bitcoin is the method to ending tyranny. Uh, and in the same token, the sooner you get there, the, the more profit you can have. So, it, but in order to really appreciate all that, I think there's a lot of history that needs to be understood. Uh, and I think it's a fun story. So if, if, if we think I'm meandering or off topic, please feel free to interrupt me and, and bring me back on course. But if I may, I'll start with that kind of history and so we can understand it. No, I would love that. Okay. Great. Okay, cool. So, um, I mean, for, just for, for, okay. So we started at the beginning, we had barter economy and then there uh, becomes money. And let's just, it's been a few different things over the years, but gold and silver coins stood out as a very, very useful money for a whole bunch of good reasons. And the primary reason was that um, they, they needs to be, so money needs to be a bunch of things. It needs to be um, so scarce. Like there's no point using um, grains of sand on a beach because everyone just goes and picks up a grain of sand and you can buy a house with it. That's no good. So it needs to be scarce. It needs to be fungible. You can't use like beautiful pieces of art or real estate because, you know, is what is the, what's the value of one piece of art versus the other? How do you give change? So fungible means that every single unit is the same. So gold and silver works well. A gram of gold and a gram of silver, they're all interchangeable. You can, uh, I, can tr I can trade my gram of gold for your gram of gold, and it's, it's a fair trade. Um, so there's lots of other characteristics of money that have been useful. Now, gold was especially good because uh, it was one of those things that were not scarce. It took an enormous amount of effort and manpower to either pan for gold, dig for gold, mine for gold. And it, you had to exchange labor to go and get gold. And in that way, it was scarce. It was always also good to melt down and, and the, temp, you know, the, the technology at the time with how hot they can get their flames meant they could melt down gold and silver easily and mint coins with it. But then, so they, but starting with um, the Roman Empire and a few other places, 
they discovered that they could, the, the, the Caesars and whoever else could tax the gold. So they, so they did that by clipping the coin. As you entered the city, they clipped a little edge off the coin and the coin got a little bit smaller, but it still had Caesar's face on it and they still said you could use it for the same. But they took the little clippings and melted it down and made more coins. And over time, these uh, coins just got smaller and smaller and smaller. And that was the very first method of debasement, how they devalued the coins by clipping a little bit of it. Well, we can fast forward a few years, and eventually they convinced us, and I'll, I'll get to they in a moment, but they, they convinced us to use paper money. And the way that worked is if you wanted to um, – it became very inconvenient to walk around with pouches of gold. So you could get robbed. It was heavy. It was clunky. Uh, and also, um, if you wanted to buy a house, you had to show up with a, a wagon full of gold. So around 16th, 17th centuries where it became really popular, you, what happened was there were what's called the goldsmiths. And that was the beginning of banking. What you would do is you would leave your gold in the bank and you would get a paper receipt. And you'd say, you know, John has um, 50 ounces of gold in the bank. And then if you want to go and buy a house, you take that, that receipt uh, and you say, uh, hey, hey, I'm here to buy your house. Here's the 50 ounces of gold. You can take the receipt back and collect the gold. Voila, paper money is invented. We're now, now shrouding with the bits of paper, which is representative of the gold in the goldsmith's vaults. Then the goldsmiths started getting a little bit clever and dishonest and corrupt and basically started doing things a little bit clever. They realized that they had a vault full of, you know, tens of thousands of people's gold and there's like thousands of ounces in there. And there's lots and lots of these bits of paper floating around the society and the economy. But nobody knows how much gold is in the bank. And the banker says, you know what, if I just print up a receipt, just make it up. No one's given me gold. So normally people give me gold and I give them a receipt. If I just print up the receipt out of thin air and lend it to somebody, I can make them go and work hard, earn more gold or, or bits of paper, pay me back plus interest. And once they pay me back, I just tear up the piece of paper that I wrote up and gave to them. And I've, and I've just made money. They, they paid me back plus interest. So the, the thing that I lent them, I can just tear that up and throw it away. I made it up out of nothing. And that sucker went and worked hard, paid interest, and gave me even more back than I lent him. And no one was the wiser. And they did this, and they got away with this. And the gold, the gold vaults, or the gold um, smiths, I should say, eventually became known as bankers. And through this method, they became some of the richest people in Europe. Um, even they had the kind of wealth that could rival um, kings and queens. And they became the most powerful men of Europe. And they became you know, the beginnings of the banking cartel. And this method, by the way, was called fractional reserve banking. As long as you didn't print up too many phony receipts and lend it to society, no one really knew that you, did, you didn't have enough gold in the bank to warrant the receipts that you've put out. If they got wind of it, there would be what's called a bank run. People would be thinking, hang on a minute, there's all this money floating around. I don't believe they've got all that gold in the vault. And everyone would go and hand in their receipts and say, give me your gold, give me your gold, give me your gold. And if the goldsmiths pushed their luck and everyone did that and there was a run on the bank, they would be exposed as scammers and criminals. And you know, it, it, the whole system would come undone. And that happened plenty of times. But if they were just smart about it and did it a little bits and pieces, they could get away with it and just keep continuously earning money for nothing. Well, eventually, they started partnering with the kings and queens of Europe, and they, 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 the, the very best became partners with the kings and queens. And they said, listen, I don't want competition. Make everybody use my money in the whole country, and I can print as much as you want, 
and give it to you. That can fund your wars, it can fund your explorations, it can fund your welfare programs, and I will have the exclusive right to print money in this country. And that is the beginnings of a central bank. They partnered, the, the, the corrupt bankers partnered with the kings and queens, and the kings and queens forced everybody to use a certain bank's currency, and it became the national currency. Up until then, you just had lots of whatever people could use the currency, whatever they want. Some people would mint gold or silver coins, and some all these different entities would do it, and people could choose what money they used. But after that, the kings and queens dictated what money you could use. Now, all of this gets to a point where you can start to see through this fractional reserve banking system that the bankers and the governments or the kings and queens at the time start working hand in hand to effectively steal money from the people. They get to print money out of thin air, right? Counterfeit it is what we would call it if anybody else did it and charge people interest and they get money for nothing. And the amount of money that they made is just beyond comprehension. We're talking about rivers of money flowing into the, the banking cartel's pockets, and they just got richer and richer and became the most richest and powerful people in the world, and basically have maintained that position of power ever since. We're talking centuries long. The, the families that own those banks are, are now their dynasties, they're the things you've heard of, the, the Rothschilds and the other bits and pieces. These people, through fractional reserve banking, have just has so much money come into them. Now they can buy up television stations and newspapers, and they can control so much of what you see and think. And it's why this stuff is never taught. And it's why my economics teachers in, at college and at high school never knew the answer to the question, because it is never, ever taught. So, okay, people throughout the years, people have started to realize this and they thought, okay, for gold and silver had some shortcomings. They were able to clip the coins. I get it, but I literally saw them do it right now. They're just stealing money by just printing, printing money. When they print money, they get the value out of it and the value of the receipts that I hold go down. So eventually the whole, the whole system of having gold in the bank evaporated. Now the, the pieces of paper that we use, no one's promising you get to go and trade that in for gold anymore. So we just have pieces of paper. And now you know, the run on the banks kind of achieves nothing. They can just keep printing money and putting it in the bank. The, the run on the banks doesn't expose the crime anymore. So what, I guess the, the real, the, what I really want people to understand here is that method, that mechanism of inflation. Imagine if there was a very nutritious soup in front of us and I, got to, I, took a, I took a sip out of it and then I put some water in into it to top it back up and I handed it to the next guy and they took a sip of soup and they put some water in it to top it back up and then the next guy and the next guy and the next guy. Well, 200 people deep, the person's just drinking water and there's no more um, nutrition left in that soup. That's how the monetary system works today. When the money is printed at the Federal Reserve, when the money is printed at the various central banks around the world, it's the governments, it's the banks, it's the people who get the first drink of the soup, get full value out of it, and the peasants out in the field working, it's just water by the time we get it, and the, 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 uh, the value of our money goes down. It's like, you know, a, cut, a carton of milk used to cost three pennies, and now it costs $3. That's what's happening. That's what inflation is. It's because of the money printing that's going on. Okay, we're getting close to this, by the way. I hope this is interesting for you all. It's great. Keep going. <laughs> okay, okay. So... The best way, prior to Bitcoin, the best way we had to fight back against this was precious metals. It was gold and silver because they, they couldn't just print pieces of paper and sell. You can't just print gold and silver. If you choose to do your savings in gold and silver, it's there. Now, 
the free market, we, uh, there's, I mean, yes, not, I understand this might be fresh for some people, but there's been a lot of people in history who understand this. And they're like, I don't want to save up in bits of paper that's getting inflated away. I'm going to go and buy gold and silver. In fact, I'm even going to be at my shop. I'm going to encourage everybody else to pay me in gold and silver. In fact, I might even give them discounts to pay me in gold and silver. And gold and silver became competition to the banking cartel. They wanted, every, they wanted to force everybody to use their paper so they could continue their scam. Now, this, the, the resistance against gold and silver takes various forms, but what they, they will stop at nothing. And what is apparent is we all understand that. The people who would want to use it, it's a, most, they, they, we know that they would not let us do it. And I'll give you some examples. So to begin with, the first way they make you use their paper is they make you pay taxes in paper. So everyone needs to get some paper at the end of the year in order to pay your taxes. Okay. If not, I'll come and grab you, throw you in jail. But nonetheless, I can still, I can, at my shop, I can accept gold and silver currency. And the free market's got some fantastic solutions for that now. We can do, uh, we can put gold and silver in a vault. We could have an app on our phone and I could pay you, you know, two grams of gold for your jacket, let's say. And like we could do that and we'd never have to use paper money. Here's the big, big weakness with gold and silver. At the end of the day, to protect their monopoly, the governments and the banking cartels will send men with guns to steal the gold and silver. And we've tr we have tried, we as a society have tried it decade after decade, century after century. Eventually, the men with guns come and steal the gold and silver. They will not let you hoard it. And some examples of that, just recently in the last 10 or 20 years, there's been services like uh, gold money. There's been um, things like liberty dollars. There's been all these kinds of services where you, you can do as I've described. You can send in your gold to a vault. They get audited by a random top five accounting firm every three months so you know the gold's really there and it's not fractionally reserved banks. And we can use an app and I can pay for stuff in grams of gold. We can go back earlier than that. During the Great Depression, everyone started hoarding gold and they, um, they, fought, they made it illegal gold. And eventually, I, if you went into the bank to uh, open your... Um, uh, your uh, safety deposit box, there'd be an IRS official looking over your shoulder to see if you've got gold and silver in there. So over the years, gold and silver was um, put down by the banking cartel Some under various different reasons. Most recently, it's all about um, anti-money laundering and, um, and terrorism. In order to stop money getting to terrorists, we can't let gold and silver exist. So Liberty Dollar and gold and gold silver things, they all get shut down. Okay, now we are ready to get to Bitcoin. What is so special and so incredible about Bitcoin is that it is censorship resistant. It has all of the qualities of gold and silver, um, for, for largely, but men with guns are useless against it. At the end of the day, a Bitcoin is a program where there's a very limited supply of it. It's scarce, it's fungible, it's all the other wonderful things we need money to be. But most importantly, it can, exi it can exist as just a, a group of numbers or a group of words. You can, just by knowing your password in your head, it might be like a 12-word password, it might be you know, door, microwave, fridge, just like a, a big, long string of words. And with that big, long string of words, you can go to any computer anywhere in the world and type in your string of words, and all of a sudden you can open up your wallet, which might have $10 in it or $10 billion in it. And that fact um, makes it censorship resistant. Can 
can you walk across the border with literally nothing but the clothes on your back and get to the other side and type in those words and just get $10 billion out of the network if that's what you had in it? Yes. So it, it, it gives us a tremendous amount of freedom whereby we can break the backs of the banking cartel and they cannot stop it like they could gold and silver. There's another aspect to um, that fact, to the, the concept that Bitcoin is censorship resistant. Bitcoin is, um, the way it works is there is a, a ledger. A ledger is just a, an accounting book. Just imagine an accounting book or a little database that says, uh, you know, account number, seven, number 71234 has 10 Bitcoins in it. Account number 821 has 50 Bitcoins in it. And this ledger exists on tens of thousands of computers around the world in every single country. And I believe someone even put one on, put it on a satellite and put it up in space. Like this ledger exists everywhere. And every time someone makes a transaction, if I send you a Bitcoin, the ledger is adjusted. My balance goes down one Bitcoin. Your balance goes up one Bitcoin. And the ledger is adjusted. And so the ledger exists on 10,000 computers. In order for the system to work, you only one of those computers needs to exist. So if America wants to shut down the internet, that doesn't mean the Bitcoin network stops. Like the, the Bitcoin will still, network will still work in every other country. Let's say they want to shut down the internet on the entire planet. Well, that means the Bitcoin network won't work for a time being, but if they ever bring the internet back, all of our funds are still there. We can continue on transacting just like before. Um, and so you've got this thing that unlike gold and silver, which was rather easily defeated by men with guns, well, now Bitcoin cannot be defeated by men with guns. You can't, you, you, you can't shut down the network and people can, have, can carry their funds in their head. You can't be beaten out of them. They have plausible deniability. Do you have any money on you, sir? No, I don't. Okay, through the metal detectors you go, nothing showed up. You're free and clear. And the most special thing about Bitcoin is that it is censorship resistant and because of that it is the way it is the mechanism that we can defeat the centuries old banking government relationship cartel that forces us to use their money which they can steal from us through the mechanism of inflation mm, which I, think, I love to call devaluation yeah <laughs> That's what I've always called it when I, you know, actually that question is really interesting because that's what really got me started in this whole thing. I had the same question and I, and I went down this path and, uh, and eventually that's what I, I came to the exact same conclusion. I just said, well, there's no such thing as inflation. It's just devaluation of the, the dollar by, you know, making more of it available. So it's more dilute. It's devalued. Absolutely. And, and uh, so this is fascinating. This is, I, 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 we're just about, we're, we're coming up on six minutes till break. So I just want to warn you. So as you're really deep into this, mm -hmm. um, but, uh, I, I um, could, if I, I think I can do something in about six minutes that you guys might like. Okay, so great. when I, when I speak to people, people think of like inflation and people, well, people, especially the word counterfeit, they're like, okay, when, when, when Joe Blow does it, it's counterfeit. When the government does it, it's devaluation or inflation. And we have these different words for it. So, but most people understand that if Joe Blow prints some money in their basement, they're counterfeiting. People have, well, yeah, that's bad. We shouldn't allow that. I get that. And most people can't articulate why. Most people, when you ask them, what's the problem with counterfeiting, is that, well, they get something for nothing. They don't have to go to work. 
And that's not the reason. When, if I invented a magic ray gun, which pointed at an apple and I pressed the button and I, it, it made another apple for nothing. The, the old apple was still there and another apple just got made for free. So I can now, yeah, I can do it with houses, I can do it with everything and my magic ray gun just duplicates things. There is no one who would begrudge me and make me happy. I would be celebrated as a person who solved world hunger. I can make as much food as I want and give it to as many people. I solved world housing problems. Uh, I could patent my thing and I could be a trillionaire and everyone would celebrate my success. Getting something for nothing is not the reason counterfeiting is bad. The reason counterfeiting is bad is when that person prints up those dollars in their basement, they're not getting something for nothing. They're getting something at the expense of everybody else who holds those dollars. Because if you're printing it, then that devalues their dollars. It is actually a theft. It's not something for nothing. And so once you really understand that mechanism, now the, the, the due repulsion to devaluing the dollar is there. It's the same level as repulsion that you have towards a counterfeiter. Because when it, you, something is being stolen from you every time they print money at the federal, in the Federal Reserve System. And I think that's important to understand. Once people get that, they start to get, oh, now I, get, I understand why I should be angry. I didn't feel as angry as I should have when I just called it devaluation. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, that's really, that makes it pretty clear. All right. Well, so um, I, I want to get into a kind of a really juicy topic, but I know we're, we're three minutes out. But uh, I, I, uh, we've, we've kind of grazed against the sides of it, which is the idea of the, um, the centralized banking system. And versus, uh, you know, the uh, cryptocurrencies. So I do want to want to talk about, and I, I don't know if we can, how far we can get with this, but what is it that is there any mechanism that stops them from overtaking or for it to become part of? Because I, I do want to get into this later about the idea that we, the Treasury has been talking about digitizing the U.S. dollar and and changing, um, you know, that whether the U.S. dollar is the international standard. Blah, 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 all that stuff. So is there any part of that you can handle in now two minutes? Um, perhaps. Let's give it a shot. So there's, I mean, we are just a, you know, a technology-driven place. It is absolutely inevitable that money becomes way better than these bits of plastic you've got to type numbers in on a web page. And so we will be getting digital money. That's just going to make it much easier to, to transact. Um, however, what they are proposing, these um, central bank digital currencies, they will still, they will be missing a very, very important ingredient from Bitcoin. Um, Bitcoin has a very, very hard limit. Nobody can print new Bitcoins in some unknown way. New Bitcoins are being created all the time, and we can go into that after the break. But um, it's a very, very specific laid out um, schedule. And only people who, those, that, that ledger that exists in hundreds of thousands of computers all over the world, those people who perform that function and go to the trouble of having a computer to do that, they get rewarded with the new Bitcoins. But um, it's, it's, so everyone knows exactly how they're being created. They know the schedule that they're being created. The central bank digital currencies, they will still have the mechanism where they can print as many digital tokens on their side as they want and get to use them first. So it will not solve the problem. Said uh, uh, in a monetary scientist language, it will still not be a hard money. It okay. is a... Max, 
Yep. Um, we're getting we're getting really close. We're right here. So why don't we why don't we take take off here and then we'll come back with Timothy after the break. Okay. Sounds good. Okay. Thank you. The Other Side of the News is a current and dynamic companion to augment the discussions from the other side of midnight. We investigate, explore, and extrapolate facts to gain better understanding of current affairs and events, and thus... To bring comfort and calm to our wide international audience. It's a spontaneous commentary... Based on well-verified references fed through vigilance and discernment. Our desire is to awaken your imagination with questions. Questions that have not been asked, yet need answering. The other side of the news is a place where you can come and be with us in community. Learning new things, asking questions, getting compelling answers, and interesting viewpoints. It's about curiosity. We present thought-provoking questions to incite your mind, propelling you to see the world in another way. Propelling you to see the world in another way. Clear insights and fresh perspectives on global events. Tune in for a balanced view of the other side of the news. side of the news can be heard here on this network, on this channel, on this website, on this URL, every Friday evening, two hours, seven to nine p.m. Pacific time. I warn you, you'll miss it at your own peril. And welcome back. This is the other side of the news. And our show this evening is Deciphering the Blockchain Enigma. And our guest is Max Wright. Max, that was perfect. That was an excellent overview. And the last half an hour, I was uh, riveted. It's wonderful to hear the background and the context. One of the questions I would really like to ask you is, and you just touched on it just before the break, is could you please explain uh, Bitcoin mining or, or how people actually go about mining Bitcoin. Could you explain something? I certainly lines, could. Please? Yes, yes, Thank I you. certainly could. Um, so, okay. Bitcoin, um, the way Bitcoin works, and it's interesting, you, you uh, that, uh, that little commercial there in the middle just reminded me of the topic of the show. I mentioned the word blockchain. I don't think we've mentioned that yet. So we're going to get into blockchain right now. We should do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so the way it works is um, when I, I mentioned there's the, there's a ledger. It's the, 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 the this, this ledger is duplicated or copied on hundreds of thousands of computers all over the world. And when I make a transaction, if I was to send you a Bitcoin, then my balance would go down a Bitcoin. Your balance would go up a Bitcoin and all every single copy of the ledger gets updated. Now the way that mechanism all works is that all these computers, there's all these computers out the world just listening, listening for Bitcoin transactions. And when I go on my phone and say, send you a Bitcoin, 
I send it, I send it out into the universe. And all these computers are listening for these transactions. And what they do is they start bundling these transactions. They're bundling, they bundle, they put them in a big bundle. And then there's basically a, a game or a lottery to, to, um, to see who gets to update the ledger. Now, you, when I create the transaction, it's like cryptographically signed, but you can't change the numbers. Like you can't, if I, if I sent you one Bitcoin, the, the, the miners can't change that to two Bitcoin. But what they're doing is they're listening for all the transactions and they're putting them in a big bundle, which we're going to call a block. And then we're going to, after about 10 minutes, we're going to, they, they are going to add that to the blockchain. And that means all of the le- all of the ledgers, all of those copies of those ledgers, gets updated when that bundle is um, added to the blockchain. Now, here's the the fascinating part about this. Um, all of the miners, and anybody can be a miner. You can just download a piece of software and run your computer, and you're a miner, which means you're listening for these transactions. You bundle them up, and then you're trying to win a lottery. And here's how that lottery works. You're basically looking for. It's just a really, really difficult math problem which can't be solved with logic. It's just a random number generator. It's like winning winning the lottery. You're just literally looking for a needle in a haystack. And you're just looking for a magic number. And what's it like, you know, 7,827, something like that, right? Just some really long number. And if you find that number combined with all of the transactions that you've been bundled up that were encrypted and all these things, then you are the winner of the lottery. And you get to add all of the transactions to the blockchain, and then everybody else will update it. Now, as a reward for being the person who found that needle in a haystack, you get a Bitcoin reward. And the way that works is around about every 10 minutes or so, but we can't say exactly because people are looking for a needle in a haystack, and sometimes they find it quickly and sometimes they find it slowly, but it averages out to be about every 10 minutes. Every 10 minutes, someone wins the lottery. They found the magic number that gives them the cryptographic key to, to add all these transactions to the blockchain. And now the ledger updates, and that person gets a reward. Now, the reward, this is the interesting part. The reward changes over the years. Every four years or so, the, the reward gets halved. So when Bitcoin first started, for the first four years, every time somebody found that needle in the haystack, they got 50 Bitcoins reward. Now, in the beginning, there was zero Bitcoins and someone listened to the blocks, listened out there, and boom, they found the magic number and they got 50 Bitcoin reward and now there's 50 Bitcoin. 10 minutes later, there's another 50 Bitcoin. 10 minutes later, there's another 50 Bitcoin. And this is how Bitcoin gets introduced. Now, after four years, that reward gets chopped in half. Now, there's only 25 Bitcoins getting introduced 20, every 10 minutes. 25 Bitcoins, 25 Bitcoins, 25 Bitcoins. Four years later, gets chopped in half again. 12 and a half Bitcoins, 12 and a half Bitcoins, 12 and a half Bitcoins. And every four years for the next 100 years, the reward gets chopped in half, chopped in half, chopped in half, chopped in half. And eventually, if you can, you can imagine it, kind of the, the amount of Bitcoin that gets introduced becomes so infinitesimally small that it caps out at around about 21 million Bitcoins. Now, something else worth noting is that at the beginning, like after the four years, if, if, if that gets halved all the time, after four years, half of all Bitcoins that were ever going to be created had already been created, right? So half of 21 million is 10 and a half million. So after four years, 
there was 10.5 million Bitcoins in, in existence. And then after the next four years, there was three quarters of all Bitcoins that were ever going to be um, created, had already been created, uh, whatever that three quarters of 21 million, whatever that turns out to be, uh, 15.25 million. Uh, and, and over time, it just gets the, the amount of increase gets smaller and smaller and smaller. So these miners are doing uh, what it means to be a miner is you download a piece of software, you put it on your computer, and you start listening for transactions, and then just burn electricity looking for the needle in the haystack, the magic number that allows you to put the transaction on the blockchain. And it gets a little bit more complicated past here, but the purpose of all this that is the mechanism by which we can trust the whole situation. Um, there's nobody in control of the ledger because if, if like, let's say the U.S. government like, doesn't want to allow your transaction, let's just say, they can't do anything about it because there's always other miners listening for transactions and trying to win that block reward. And that's the decentralized nation, uh, nature of Bitcoin and why it's so trustworthy. Max, when just earlier you were mentioning there are like 10,000 miners, and I think that was just an analogy, an example. There, there are, how, how many miners do you think there are on, on the planet? Is there an- well, no, I, I, I don't know the, other, uh, the answer to that. I'm not sure if anyone actually does. But I'll, I'll say um, there's, a, there's another mechanism that when Bitcoin first started, that's how it was, but another mechanism has started. So there's probably are 10,000 miners on the planet mm. or more. But okay. what happens is it's um, when, when there are 10,000 miners and you're looking for a needle in a haystack um, and sometimes you find the needle and sometimes you don't, um, cash flow is a little bit of a problem. You've got to run the electricity on your machine for two years before, you find your, before you're the one who finds the needle in the haystack. And now all of a sudden, you know, you, you might have been broke before you found the, and you had to turn your machine off because you couldn't afford the electricity to, to run it. Mm-hmm. So what they did is they decided to work in pools. And there's now like maybe four, five, six, seven pools out there. And like I just, you just sign up and I've, I'm running my computer here and you're running your computer there. But we look for the needle in a haystack in the confines of this pool. And if you happen to find it, well, you're going to share it with me. And if I happen to find it, you're going to, I'm going to share it with you. And so um, everyone kind of joins a pool so that you don't, you're not waiting for that one time in two years when you're the one who gets the block reward. You get a little tiny reward almost every single day because you're in a pool of people who, are all, who have all decided to share their efforts. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So I've also seen... Uh, a lot of people, I say a lot of people, I've certainly seen on the internet, many people have actually invested big time into creating uh, mining farms. That's mm-hmm. the correct word, I don't know. But I mean, literally buildings yeah. full of computers, massive computers, mm-hmm. which are just crunching away all day long, all night yeah. long as well. Uh, I mean, obviously they have an advantage, I guess, because they have, uh, do they have more accounts or can you only have one account per name? No. So, no, I guess accounts would be the wrong word. I think horsepower is a better word. Um, So if you're looking for a needle in a haystack, um, which is what they're doing, the more computing power you have, the faster you will find the needle. The more often you'll find the needle is maybe a better way to say it. So they may – so someone might spend a lot of money on machinery being really, really good at looking for needles, and they might get find a lot of needles. But the cost of their machines and the electricity costs to run those machines is going to be very, very high. They might not be any more profitable than a person running one machine at their house. Mm-hmm. 
Now, there are some economies of scale. So now you get into some real economics of it. It's like, well, if you run your machine in Iceland where they have subsidized energy and your energy costs are lower than everybody else, maybe you're going to have an advantage if you're going to put a lot of machines there uh, and things like that. And, and now there are companies stepping up and say, hey, give us your money and you can be part owner of 10,000 machines. And we're going to build them in this country because they've got really cheap uh, electricity costs right now. And so there's a whole industry out there trying to be miners. And so I, do, I should mention this because um, I don't want to, I've, I've kind of used the, the analogies at the beginning of this example were true, but now it is a very, very specialized industry. I myself have been in Bitcoin for almost eight years now. I've never mined. For me, I'm better at my job. I can go and make money and buy Bitcoin, and it's way more efficient for me to buy Bitcoin from somebody else who's mined it. But if you have technical skills and that's your world and you want to buy a machine, maybe you have advantages that way, then maybe that's the best way and most efficient way for you to get Bitcoin. But for the vast majority of people, don't do that. Just go and stick to your job and buy Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. May I turn to a slightly different uh, direction? Could can we talk about uh, Satoshi Nakamoto a little? Because I mentioned that he is a sort of an anonymous, I say he, an anonymous entity. Mm-hmm. But is, there, is there any more information about this, this person? Uh, is there anything you can share? Or is it a myth? Is it, is it, is it the central bank cartel with a, a different mask on? I mean, so, yeah, so I've heard lots of theories. Actually, it's the CIA who created Bitcoin and they did it under the guise of Satoshi Nakamoto. And I've heard it's the central banks, and I've heard all kinds of things. So the answer is we don't know. We don't know who Satoshi Nakamoto is. But going back to something I said earlier in the show, mm-hmm. the code is open source. It's not yeah. closed source code. So the fact that we do not know Satoshi Nakamoto is really quite irrelevant. They, if the CIA made this, then they made a huge mistake because they just helped us disintermediate from the entire banking cartel that we've otherwise been forced to be part of. So, but let, uh, let's just go with, um, look, look, it could have been, we don't know who, maybe it was some nefarious actor, maybe it was government. Well, I don't care who it was because I can read the code and I know what it does. So that's not interesting to me, but let's just take the example of that. It, this was the story is the story that Satoshi said. Um, so a little bit of background. Satoshi's, you know, back in 2006, seven, eight, he's writing away on chat boards and he's, he's asking questions, he's discussing his idea, this thing is you might call Bitcoin and he's getting experts to chime in and have ideas with him and brainstorm it out. And he goes ahead and he, he makes it. And understand this, he's, he's, you know, this is the most powerful, richest cartel on the planet you know arguably we fight wars in iran and iraq and syria because their central banks have not fallen in line with our central banks um and so this is worth going to war over so he's like i want to give this gift to the world but i'm not willing to put my name on it i think i'll be assassinated for it or worse some torture Mm -hmm. or whatever and out of fear the story is out of fear he invents it, gives this open source code to the world, and then vanishes forever and never ever lets and never ever mentions the fact that he was the inventor of Bitcoin ever again. And all we know him by is this handle he used on a bulletin board ten or eleven years ago. And that is the handle. Is it Satoshi Nakamoto? Satoshi Nakamoto is the handle. And I've chatted to people and know people who were in those chat rooms and spoke to him and hashed out the idea of Bitcoin with him. 
And once it was written, he just vanished, never showed up again, never, never to be heard of. But he's out there somewhere. Well, that's fascinating. I remember back in something like 2005, six, something along those lines, I was at the Monarchy Yacht Show. I had some meetings with Mendoza. Uh, with, I, I, I stayed a few days longer. And uh, I had this meeting with this guy. I have to say he was sort of strange, but probably in a good way strange. And he invited me back to his apartment and we had a meeting and we had the discussions and we had tea, coffee, we looked around. But in his workroom, it was unbelievable. It was something like, uh, uh, what can I say? It was full of photographs and drawings and objects pinned to the wall with like lines of cotton and string, like you might see in sort of like a movie of, you know, an investigation room in Silence of the Lambs or something like that. But mm -hmm. he was, he was claimed he was developing a new by all intents and purposes, a, a cryptocurrency. And mm -hmm. uh, I, I lost contact with him, you know, probably 10, 12 years ago, something along those lines. But at that time, I just could not get my head around why on earth we want to invent something which is anything different than money. Of course, I've, I've come a long way since then. But uh, do you think that, I mean, we, we focus quite a lot on Bitcoin and I understand the reason why, because as, as I mentioned, it's probably one of the more robust and, and mature uh, cryptocurrencies, but there are actually hundreds more. And I think on a, on a sort of a monthly basis, new ones are arriving, aren't there? New coins coming to the market. That is absolutely true. And we are going back to um, the original concept of, I, I'm a, I'm a free market um, economist. And so, we just generally understood that free markets are the, you know, much more efficient than centrally planned um, things. And we used to have a free market in money. People would choose. And they, the, the vendor at the store would choose what currency they accept. They might accept corn. They might accept bushels of tobacco. They might accept you know, all these kinds of things. But somewhere along the lines, when the, the banker is partnered with the, the government, they, by decree, said we had to use a certain currency. But the way it's uh, a much more efficient, it might sound weird to us now, and it might sound inconvenient to us now. What, I've got to carry, if this store accepts this currency and that store accepts that currency, um, that sounds like a pain in the butt to me, but it is a far more efficient. And you can have apps on your phone, you can do this kind of thing in the blink of an eye. Uh, it's a far more efficient system to have a free market for money. And arguably, it's probably the most important thing in terms of freedom and liberty that we can have. So to your point, yes, there are lots of other cryptocurrencies that get invented. And we now have a free market for money. You can, you can go and invent a cryptocurrency right now. It'll probably take you about an hour. And then you have to go and sell it to the world. Why? use your cryptocurrency over Bitcoin or over something else. And there are thousands, you are correct, thousands of uh, cryptocurrencies out there and people making that play. And if you want, we can go down that rabbit hole a little bit and I can talk about some of the things that people are, are, are saying, my coin's even better than Bitcoin because, and uh, we can hear some of the pitches that people are putting out there for why sure. they should use your one. Well, yeah. one, of the, one of the key questions I have, I have to say, is one of the, the sort of, reasons I'm slightly can I say nervous about this whole subject is uh, which one is which one is the back which one would you back and which one is perhaps you know uh, 
which one is linked to the, the banking cartel without us knowing about it, or which one is is a Trojan horse, or that that's kind of a maybe it's instinct talking more than sense. But do you do you share that sort of nervousness at all about some of these coins? Uh, absolutely, it's perfectly valid. Uh, at the end of the day, when you purchase a cryptocurrency, you are making an investment. The same way as if you leave your money in dollars, you are investing in dollars. Like you're, you're always investing in something and something compared to something else is going up or down. And so we need to have that in the back of our mind. So um, the, the question is you want, to, you want to back the right horse, right? It's like if you go back, it's, it's like being asked to invest in a search engine. And, you know, hey, there's this brand new technology out there, search engines. It's going to be huge. We're all going to use them to find information on the Internet. It's like, which one should we invest in? Alta Vista, Yahoo, Google, which one? Well, with the benefit of hindsight, you hope you chose Google, right? So we're very much in that, in that situation. Um, and at the moment, we have Bitcoin, which is the, the standout, first to market, um, you know, largest liquidity pool, whole bunch of things going for it. But it was also the first, and this is a technology play. And so some, some currencies are coming out, uh, some cryptocurrencies have come out that advertise cooler features because they got to watch Bitcoin, learn from it, and believe they've, um, the, the creators believe they've created something even better, even more special, even cooler. And so we, we do have that to consider when we go ahead and purchase a Bitcoin, if we purchase a, sorry, if we purchase a cryptocurrency, which one we want to choose. So, Max, um, this is Kinthea, and you mentioned earlier at the beginning how one of uh, your students had made the mistake about not being secure in the way she had bought Bitcoin, and I noticed on one of your videos you were mentioning about not leaving monies in exchanges. It's not safe, and now I see that they're coming out with these digital currency banks. So. You know, if you're moving bitcoins around from one account to another, where where can you hold it safely? Yeah, um, so I mean, great question. I don't know what I can add much to what I said earlier, though. But I'll go. I'll just I'll go through the main options. There's one is you can hold it yourself, um, and that means you have to take the responsibility of making sure that that is that you're. It's what it's what the private keys is what we call it. That it's basically a a code and it can be the easiest way to store the code is in a string of words. It's like 12 to 24 words. And with that, if you've got that 12 to 24 words, you can access your money. You don't have that. You're not, you've lost your money. So you can, you can handle them yourselves. And that means you've got to take care of that. So you want to have that, um, you know, you've got to consider things like theft. So maybe you don't even want to have it written down all in one place. If it's 12 words, you might have six words here and six words uh, somewhere else in the safety deposit box in, in so, you know, depending on how much money you've got, depends on the degree to which you go to the, to the, uh, to the security levels. So I'm a public figure in this space and it's known I have a reasonable amount. So my biggest fear is, is theft. Now, for most people, that's probably not their biggest fear, but for me, it is. So for me, I can't even get my Bitcoins until I fly to like three different continents and assemble my private keys. That's the length I go to, but that's because I'm a public figure. Um, the, the probably the biggest fear for most people is that they lose their their, their public keys. Uh, sorry, their private keys. Um, there's floods. There's fires. Did you just have it written down in one place in your house and your house burned down? Well, now it's gone. You've lost your funds. So there's um, you can now you can write your code in a hundred different places and store it all over the place. But now you've increased the chance of someone discovering it and there being theft. 
So there's so much to think about in all of this process. Um, and so hence, some people have come up with solutions. And I mentioned some of them at the top of the show, but I'll go through them quickly now. Um, if you, it's, it's not considered wise to leave them on an exchange uh, because um, exchanges are not, it's not, they're not wallets first and foremost. So a wallet is where you store your Bitcoin. Um, they're, they're exchanges, they're, they're trading books and they're other things. But there is, in my opinion, uh, an exchange that stands out much better than any other, which is Kraken. And uh, there actually is, uh, there is an insurance that the, the insurance companies put different premiums on different exchanges who choose to insure their stuff. And the Kraken insurance premium is the lowest because they have the reputation of being uh, one of the best exchanges out there. So you can, you, know, you need an exchange to buy your Bitcoin. So you send the money and you log on and you tell them you want to buy Bitcoin and then, they, then you can get your Bitcoin out. Uh, or you can leave your Bitcoin on there. And if you plan on doing that, I highly recommend you using um, something like a Kraken. Or there's another tier. There are people called custodians, and they will hold your Bitcoin for you. And um, you know, in that instance, you have the risk that it might get stolen. But these custodians do um, often have, the, have it insured, and um, you may have some recourse through their insurance. And this is their job. They'll charge you fees to keep to store your Bitcoin, things like that. And then um, there's another way, which I think is probably the easiest to date, which is if you just log into your trading account, like at Charles Schwab or at TD Ameritrade, you can buy what's called the, the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, and you can just um, yeah, you just buy uh, you just you, you buy it on the on your on, on TD Ameritrade, and once they have your money they go and purchase Bitcoins for you and hold it securely. I'm not 100% sure if that's insured or not, but you know, they, they, have, like, they have a significant amount of Bitcoin that they're holding. And they, again, they're, they're a trust and they charge fees for that. So there's a lot of different tiers and a lot of different ways you can get into it. Um, for, for most people at home who aren't public figures like me, um, as long as you don't tell anyone that you bought Bitcoin and you're in a really good place to start, that's 90% of your battle done. And then I suggest you buy what's called a hardware wallet, either Trezor or Ledger. Uh, you can buy either one on Amazon and, um, and that will walk you through a way of, of backing up your Bitcoins and being pretty safe at home. And if no one knows you have them, you know, you're not really going to be a, uh, a theft, um, you know, a likely theft person, a victim of theft. Well, that's very useful information. We are coming up close to the break, but this segues to, to another question I had is on one of your videos. In fact, it's your latest video. It's the item number one under your links. So you're projecting how Bitcoin is going to rise, rise, and then it's going to take a fall. And, and um, so what I'm understanding is that you would, you would sell when it's high and then you would hold that money and then when it goes back low you would buy again so where are you holding the what you're taking out when it's when you've made a profit where do you hold it before you reinvest it in like kraken or a bank or you can yeah you can hold it in any of those places so what you're talking about is trading so you would buy bitcoin at a price today hoping that it's going to go up if it does go up you would sell your bitcoin and you've made a profit um, in most countries around the world, if you've held it for longer than 12 months, that would be long-term capital gains tax that you would have to pay. That's what realizing a gain. Um, if you held it for less than 12 months, you would pay short-term normal income tax on those gains. 
But um, during that, so then when you sell it, you've turned it back to cash. You can get it deposited in your cash account, exactly the same as you would, um, like let's say going back to TD Ameritrade or Charles Schwab. You can send money to Charles Schwab. You log on, pardon me. You log on. You buy Apple. Apple Apple stock goes up. You sell Apple. You've got a profit. It's all treated exactly the same by most taxing authorities and most other things. And then when you finish with your trade, you want the money sent back, and you've made your profit. You can send the money back. And uh, so it's in, in that in that aspect, it's very much yeah. You can buy a stock in Apple, or you can buy a stock in the future of currency. Okay, so you opened up the question there about the taxes. I thought that the Bitcoin wasn't traceable. So how are they knowing what you've made? So um, now the so buying your Bitcoin. If you if you can like find somebody and you can you can do that online, or you can. Um, you know, go to a, a, you can even just meet someone in person at a coffee shop if you can find someone. If you went to like a meetup, like a Bitcoin meetup, and you met someone, you say, listen, I want to buy $100 worth of Bitcoin. You can give them $100 and they can send you the Bitcoin right there. Now, that's going to be pretty difficult to trace, most likely. But when you go through an exchange, you have to go through, these are, these are you know, large companies that men with guns can come and kick the doors down. So these guys are there. They're going to dot all their I's and cross all their T's, and they they are subject to the KYC. That's know your customer and AML anti money laundering laws that America inflicts on the whole world effectively. And so when you create an account at Kraken or somewhere else, you're going to have to send them in your driver's license and probably a utility bill and other bits and pieces. It's basically the same as opening a bank account. It's that level of documentation. So the days of Bitcoin being anonymous are pretty much gone um, with a fair amount of skill and talent. You could probably make it anonymous, but, but for the most people um, it's not going to be anonymous. Uh, and that's partly to do with the nature of the Bitcoin code. And we to kind of tie it into a question we were asked earlier. There are other cryptocurrencies who said, ah, which so Max, one made- Max, oh, I'm, yeah. I apologize. I'm going to ask you to hold that thought. We're at the bottom of the hour break and we'll pick it up on the other side. You're listening to Max Wright on the other side of the news. Uh, the show is called Deciphering the Blockchain Enigma. My co-hosts are Timothy Saunders, Annette Driscoll and myself, Kinthea. We'll return after the break. Richard C. Hoagland here. I'd like you to support The Other Side of Midnight by subscribing to Club 19.5 and thereby joining our unique and growing radio community. Tune in to listen to our fascinating guests, pioneers on the out-there edge of science and thought, and gain access to exclusive member benefits. To do this, just visit our website, theothersideofmidnight.com, and click on the Join Club 19.5 link in the navigator bar or in the left-hand column. Membership costs $19.95 per month. That's 33 tetrahedral cents a day. A couple of cups of coffee. 
As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to this show and literally hundreds of previous shows on hundreds of different topics going back to 2015 that we have done. Our archive shows have the commercials removed, and you'll be able to download the MP3 files directly from the 19-point archives if you prefer. To enhance your listener experience, a new The Other Side of Midnight podcast is being added to all show pages, which will allow you to instantly search the show archives of Radio with Pictures, thus easily accessing the corresponding show. Plus, you can just as quickly access the entire podcast list when you're on the go. I want to personally thank all our Club 19.5 members because without your continuing support, this show would literally not be on the air. Please continue supporting the broadcast to provide you with the most interesting conversation available, talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought, and if you like what you hear on the other side of midnight, tell your friends and continue growing the show by having them subscribe to Club 19.5 as well, because we need all of you. And when I say we need you, you're the reason we're doing all this. Hoagland, over and out. article I wrote a couple of weeks ago that says am I being selfish and I said absolutely but I'm not doing this for me I'm doing this for my grandchildren and my grandchildren's children I see the loss of rights and freedoms I've lived long enough to know what's happened here and I cannot stand back and simply comply I'm going to resist those measures with everything that I have, uh, emotionally, psychologically, physically, legally. Because I cannot allow our rights and freedoms to be taken from us. We have to stand up for them. This is where I say that we have to become adults. We have to stand up for our rights and freedoms. We can't ask for them. We have to demand that they be honored and respected. To me, the masking was part of the strategy of totalitarian tiptoe. We just keep encroaching on you, and it's just a little bit worse than it was yesterday. And most people don't see it, but we see it. And that's why this program and the work that you guys are doing is so important. Hi, this is Ted Kuntz from Vaccine Choice Canada. I just want to reach out and express my gratitude to others out of the news for all that you guys are doing to empower humanity and bring us to a higher state of consciousness. Uh, the time that we shared together was a real pleasure, rich conversation, 
And I know that all of you are uh, higher conscious beings who are uh, part of the solution. I just want to express my gratitude to Kintia, Timothy, and Aneta, and your program, The Other Side of the News. You guys are great. Welcome back to the other side of the news. Uh, this evening, our guest is Max Wright, and I can't believe we're already in that last half hour. We've got so much to cover. Um, and I would like to skip back, Max, to something that, that I'm, I'm just really interested in. And it's a question that's just kind of bothering me. I'm hearing a lot from the Treasury Department and things like that about the digitizing of the U.S. dollars. And I kind of mentioned that earlier. Um, and when I hear that going that way, I'd like to know what the difference is between a cryptocurrency and the digitized dollars. And I understand the issue of the centralized banks, but is there anything else going on there? Or what are we looking at here? Yeah, and you can hear me, right? Yes, I can. Yeah, so the, the fundamental difference is going to be that with a cryptocurrency, the the new currency being created is known and mathematically certain, provably certain by the open source code. The central bank digital currency will be, they can make as many units of that currency whenever they choose. And that's the mechanism of inflation, devaluation, call it what you will. That's the mechanism, mechanism of theft. And they're not going to give that up. So the, the big fundamental difference is with Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, we, there won't be many more of them, except in the ways that we know about, like the mining process I've explained. But with the digital currencies, they can print trillions, gazillions. They can turn it into Zimbabwe digital dollars if they want. Ah, uh, and that's um, not great. Okay. No, no <laughs> definitely not. Definitely not. So okay. I've kind of, okay, if you had a question, go for no, it. Go ahead, go ahead. Well, what I was going to suggest was I've, I hopefully I've done a good job of the time we've spent so far, kind of given the background and explaining why blockchain technology and, and Bitcoin is the leader of that. I use the two words interchangeably. I shouldn't, but I do. Um, and why Bitcoin's so important. It, it really is ending, it's, it's the ability for the average citizen to end a multi-century cartel. And not only is it important for your freedom, I believe it is simultaneously the greatest investment opportunity the world has ever seen. And so I haven't spoken about that at all. And if that sounds interesting, I can talk a little bit about that. Absolutely. And we also have a, a caller on the line. Um, so, yes, let's answer that and then maybe we'll get to the caller. Okay. Sounds good. So um, I get this. I mean, this is a brand new thing for a whole bunch of ways. I've touched on some. But this is a, a new technological development in the field of money. We haven't had that much technological change in our lives in money. But money is the biggest thing, in, it's the biggest industry in the world. Every single transaction, one half of the transaction is money. Uh, and so, you know, you think about like the internet, and you think about what it would have been like to have been able to invest in Amazon or Facebook or um, you know, you know, Google at the very, very beginning. 
Right now, we have this new thing coming along. It's a vastly superior money for a lot of different reasons. And as a result, the price has been going up um, rather consistently for its entire existence, meaning people want it. The market is demanding this this currency. People are learning it's, it's, a, it's a superior currency. And this is a technological shakeup in the biggest industry in the world, the industry of currency. And so with that, I believe, is the biggest opportunity that we've ever seen. And I think that um, – that, that, well, let's take it one step back. I've, I've, told, I've told you a little bit about the Bitcoin um, reward halving. Every four years, the Bitcoin halving reward gets chopped in half. The amount of Bitcoins available gets chopped that's, – that's, that's, sorry, I shouldn't say that. The amount of Bitcoins that um, are created every year gets chopped in half. Uh, and so that happens every four years. And what that creates is a four-year cycle. Now, in 2013, the Bitcoin price in January, I think it was $11. And just before the end of the year, it was $1,200. In that year, the Bitcoin price went up 100 times from $11 to $1,200. Fast forward four years later, the Bitcoin price in 2017 went up, I think it was something along the lines of $1,000, maybe $700, and it went up to nearly, well, it went up to $20,000 by the end of the year. It went up 20x in a calendar year. I mean, we are talking insane returns during, on, on every fourth year. Now, this isn't set in stone, but in my opinion, it's pretty solid. It's a pretty predictable pattern. I've watched it now for two cycles, and it's a pretty predictable pattern that every four years, the change in the supply dynamics triggers a massive explosion in the price. We had 2013, we had 2017, and 2021 is the next part of the cycle. I believe next year we are going to have another insane year where the price of Bitcoin could go up to numbers that if I said them, you'd laugh at me because you think I must be insane. But I've said this the last two cycles, and I've been right both times. Just ridiculous predictions that Bitcoin price is going to go up 20, 30, 40x, and it has. And so I'm not a financial planner, and I'm not licensed, and you should do your own research and all the disclaimers in the world. But I think 2021, we are going to see the price of Bitcoin go up significantly, at least 20x. And I just think it, that there's no, other, there's no other investment on the planet that I think is, is going to do as well as Bitcoin next year. And so from an investment point of view, in my opinion only, I think this is an absolutely amazing time to get involved in Bitcoin. Wow. All right. Well, that's certainly positive. Um, we do have a caller. So Keith, could, could you bring our caller in? Hi, can you guys hear me? Yes, we can. Hi, Annette. It's Michael. Hi, Michael. Good to hear you. Yes. Cynthia, Timothy, uh, Max, hello. Hope you guys are doing well. Thank you. Good to hear you. Good evening. Yeah, so, uh I guess I got in right on perfect time because uh, just as you were mentioning, now is, you know, uh, Max, as you were saying, you feel now is the best time, uh, you know, to be involved in the cryptocurrency and Bitcoin. Um, so I guess my question is, you know, for someone who's not invested yet into cryptocurrency, specifically Bitcoin, and, you know, as far as what your predictions are for 2021, uh, as of today, 
um, you know, would it, do you see any, you know, future pullbacks before the 2021 uh, expansion of Bitcoin or, you know, when you see that 20X or, uh, you know, would you suggest getting the Bitcoin out or do you see a future pullback right before 2020, before the explosion happens of, uh, yeah, fantastic question, and, and probably the question I get asked the most on my, my YouTube channel. I do a lot of Q&As on my YouTube channel in the comments, and basically I'm answering this question like on a daily basis on, uh, on my YouTube channel. So I get the question. It is, the, is a great question to ask, and it's the one that I ask myself every single day. Here's what I have to say about it. In the, so barring the normal Bitcoin never goes up in a straight line. Uh, you've probably heard that Bitcoin's very volatile. That is absolutely true. Um, it goes up. When it goes up, it goes up big. And when it goes down, it goes down big. And it can feel terrifying. It's not often you won't buy Apple stock and you know you lose you know, 20, 30% of the value of your fund in a day. But that absolutely can happen in, in cryptocurrency and Bitcoin. It happens all the time. Fortunately, there's a lot of other days you know, where you, you, you make 30, 40, 50%, and so it's all worth it. So if you're getting into it, know, it's, know that's going to happen. It's a very volatile world. And so I suggest being into, in it for a little bit of time and not panicking and selling and getting out. But with all of that being said, so yes, Bitcoin's going to go up and down quite sharply and there'll be some pretty big pullbacks. Very often 15, 20, 30% pullbacks happens relatively regularly. But there's another thing at play here. Bitcoin was invented in 2009, which means it occurred after the global financial crisis of 2008. It, and in fact, um, according to Satoshi's writings, Satoshi Nakamoto's writings, he, you know, he, he was thinking about it beforehand, but he actually, um, the, the, the destruction and the, uh, of the world economy on the back of money printing, he, this, he, he put this as that this is why the world needs Bitcoin right now because of the 2008 financial crisis. Now, for Bitcoin's entire existence, Bitcoin has not seen a gigantic market drop like 2008, where the stock market gets smashed 50%. It got a little look back in March of this year when you know, the COVID things hit pretty hard and stock markets around the world got smashed 15, 20, 30%. And during that time, Bitcoin count pulled back about 50%. Now, with all that being said, like I said, this year, like the next 12 months, I'm expecting Bitcoin to just be, have an absolutely stellar year. But I'm also expecting something else, which Bitcoin has never seen, which is a serious liquidity crisis macro, uh, macroeconomic struggle, where I think all these people not paying rent and mortgages not being paid uh, eventually comes home to roost and we're going to have a huge real estate problem. Um, all these companies being shut down, businesses going bankrupt. We're going to have a huge problem. And I think in the next 12 months here, we're going to see, or even much shorter than that, we're going to see a serious pullback on stock market and real estate and everything else. And I think Bitcoin will get hit pretty hard. So, but now that's just a little piece of information. It's a thought. That's looking into my crystal ball and who the hell knows if that's going to be actually true. So now here is the next bit of advice that I usually give people. If I had zero exposure to Bitcoin, if I didn't have any, I would be absolutely terrified that the price of Bitcoin is just going to explode and I miss out on the huge gains that I and many others are predicting for 2021. But as I have a pretty good exposure, I actually do have a fair amount of cash sitting on the sidelines 
And I intend to come in and buy a lot more when this crash that I think is going to happen, happens. So I know that's a wishy-washy answer, but that's the best answer I can give you. I think there's going to be a pullback and I think you're going to get a really good buying opportunity in the not too distant future. But I would just hate to say that you and that never happens and you blink and the price of Bitcoin is in 13,000 in two months. It's 20,000, 25,000. And you're angry at that max douchebag on the radio who told you not to buy Bitcoin for a little bit. Well, well, if I could just jump in here. Uh, no, it actually aligns with something I heard when I was conversating with a, with a friend of mine who uh, does have exposure to Bitcoin where he was actually also, you know, waiting on this major pullback. Now he, he mentioned a specific number, which is Bitcoin going down to about 7,000. And that's where he was going to look for his opportunity to, uh, again, uh, you know, kind of unload the truck and buy a bunch of Bitcoin. So your answer did align and it was, you know, you answered it without answering it. <laughs> cool. Okay. But I appreciate so, I appreciate it. And, you know, that's all I have. Thank you. Well, thank you for calling in, Michael. That was nice. So, Timothy, Kinthea, we're, we're running out of time. Jump in. Ladies first. Kinthea, would you like to add anything? <laughs> Um, well, I'm just like pondering what my question would be. So I, I can, uh, I can, I can, I can, <laughs> yes, I can put the conversation in. in a few places if you wish. <laughs> Please. <laughs> so we kind of well, we we alluded to it a little bit earlier. Um, there's there's not just Bitcoin out there. There's lots and lots of other alternatives, and we can talk about some of those alternatives because imagine we're back in the day and you're getting the, the opportunity to invest in Google, Alta Vista and Yahoo. And maybe the prudent thing is to do is to put, do a little bit of each. Uh, and, and so you know, that can be okay. So let me just tell you some of the other major um, things out there that is something that you might want to know. So probably the, the most notable thing that came along after Bitcoin is something called Ethereum. It's also a cryptocurrency, but it has a pretty cool advertising feature and could possibly be something significantly better than Bitcoin. So uh, Ethereum's uh, selling point, this, we have digital money. We've never had digital money before. This is really significant. And what Ethereum and others have figured out, but Ethereum first and most successfully, figured out that we can program the money to do things that we've never been able to do before. Things like uh, when the FedEx package is delivered, pay for it. And you don't have to, you don't have to, you can trust that the, the, the Ethereum algorithm can just do that for you. So it's kind of like an escrow idea built into the currency itself. Yes. So escrow is just one use case. The point is, is that it's programmable. I can also say, you know, um, if this, actually Bitcoin has this particular feature too, but as, a, as an example, if the money in my account doesn't move for two years, send it to this person. Why would you want to do that? Well, it's almost like a will. If, if I haven't touched the balance in my bank account for two years, maybe I died. And so I can program the money to be sent to my heirs. That would be another way to program money. 
and I can, I can, there's just, there's, I can go so far down this rabbit hole. Once you unlock the, or take the, the genies out of the bottle with programmable money, you can replace whole industries. Um, you can, the, the entire stock market and stock exchange can be done with programmable money and we can completely leave Wall Street out of it. We can do things like, let's say I'm a, let's say I'm a, a quarterback in a college team uh, here in America and I want, to, I want to sell my future earning potential. So I can say, hey, guys, buy stock in me as a quarterback in college and I, you know, I'm going to sell 1,000 shares of me and half of my income earned over my quarterback career, I am going to pay as dividends to everybody who owns stock in me. And he can go ahead and sell his future earnings while he's still in college. That, I mean, this, this, there's a whole world that opens up once you have programmable money. And Ethereum is the leader in this at the moment. It's the second biggest cryptocurrency. And its, it's advertising thing is that we can, do, um, we can do a lot more detailed programming than Bitcoin because we came around later and we added some extra technology, which Bitcoin was just not built to have. I think I heard a question start. Yeah, well, I, I certainly have a question, and I just lots of questions come to mind. I mean, one of the other things that could be like a, a bite in the rear end is, for example, in in my world, uh, how you sort of finance the design fees for a, a yacht project is, you know, sort of everybody likes to have regular payments. You start off with a deposit, and you ultimately have a the final payment on delivery of all the drawings or delivery of the yacht, whatever it is. Um, but if, for example, you know, I said my fees are X and they arrive in Ethereum and when the yacht meets its speed and when the yacht, you know, brings a smile to the owner's face, you know, two years after the, the design process is started, then that Ethereum activates. I mean, <laughs> is that the sort of way you're talking about programming it as well? I mean, it, that, that's like, exactly right. That's exactly right. You can do time payments and that, and that same thing would work in the building industry. Yeah. When so it, you go for it. Yeah, I was just going to say that So, in the same way, isn't that in a way similar that you're kind of trading on the potential of the money as opposed to the actual money? Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. So you've raised an important point, which is we've, we've, talked, we've spoken about the volatile value of this thing goes up and down like crazy. Um, and so these time payments, future payments, I agree that you pay me $100,000 in Ethereum, but when you go to pay, it's now worth $2 million. Or the other way, maybe it's only worth $300 then and, and you have these kinds of issues. So contained in the programmable money, you can also program it to, do, um, to, to transact the actual value of it. Uh, and that's a whole thing called decentralized exchanges. That's a, we're not going to be able to cover that in the time we have left. But no. what you can have, there can be cryptocurrency tokens which are tethered to the price of US dollars or gold or euros and so you can set up your payment and they can have a digital token that's programmed on the ethereum blockchain to maintain its value of a certain of a certain other asset be it euros or dollars or anything else you want to get paid in so yeah there's, there's a whole world there for sure well that's absolutely fascinating i mean it, it brings to mind sort of the idea if you order a pizza and if you like it then uh if it arrives warm and it's not sort of you know crushed in, in the box, and if you actually like it, then that money will activate and uh, <laughs> the, the pizza company will get paid. Yeah. But, uh, so it kind of, 
I don't know. It, it, it's it, it, it's a lot of reflection actually because they got many advantages and I just thought many disadvantages. But what's the name of the guy who set up Ethereum? He's he's quite a young guy, isn't he? He's, um, he is. Mar- His name is uh, Vitalik Buterin. There we um, go. Yeah. And he is uh, he's somewhat of a savant. Uh, I've met him and chatted to him a number of times. Um, and and is is yeah just a. Uh, and uh, it's just it's quite incredible he's like 19 20 years old and he's uh, not only does he have this incredible understanding of monetary science and history and everything else he also is of a, of a very high level programming and was able to create this you know this brand new technology by the by the age of 22 or 23 or something it's stunning i, I saw was, a video recently he he apparently did he meet putin and he was uh, entertained by I don't know all sorts of very different people, banks in in, uh, in the sort of general Russian area. Uh, I think they're all trying to get hold of his technology. Yeah, it's um that I didn't say that, but it, it would not surprise me in any way, shape, or form. Hmm. Hmm. Wow. And is there anything else you'd like to uh, to bring in or Akintia before we? Well, I it? I want to make sure that we give Max the opportunity to share a little bit about his course for those who want to know more. We only have a few minutes to the end of the show. So Max, if you want to share with them info about your sure. webinar is a link in your section. Yeah. Okay. Good call. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. So um, as, as I said, Bitcoin is very volatile. It has years where it goes absolutely nuts. I told you about those 2013, 2017, and we think 2021. There's also years where it gets absolutely decimated and goes down like 40, 50%. And that's on that regular four-year cycle as well. But not only that, um, I'm, I, I'm most known for actually being a macro cycles investor. And that means Bitcoin, real estate, um, stock market, and gold and silver, and a whole bunch of things. And I've mentioned that I think 2021 is going to be an absolutely superb year for, for Bitcoin. But the, the following year is going to be an absolute disaster for Bitcoin and absolutely incredible for another asset class. And between these two years going back to back, um, I think we are up for an opportunity where the average person can, with just like $5,000, if things play out the way I expect them, they can um, create complete and utter financial freedom for themselves. That's what I think we're staring down the barrel of over the next year or two. And so I've got a whole webinar. It's completely free where I lay out methodically my exact plan and why I think it's going to happen. And I, it's just, I'm just giving away my best stuff because I think this is really going to change lives. Uh, and so that link in the description, if they if people want to go ahead and click on that and go ahead and sign up to, those, um, to, the, to one of those webinars and watch that, uh, I, I just think it's something that absolutely everybody should watch because I think it's going to completely change how you invest over the next couple of years. And even if you have relatively small amounts of money, you can learn a lot and potentially make a lot. Thank you, Max. And that's item number three in Max's items. You've been listening to the other side of the news. Our guest tonight has been Max Wright. He's a genius investor, and we've been uh, so honored to get the inside of the story for our futures and for our freedom. And um, we're, uh, I, I'm excited to check out that. Training. If it's anything like tonight's show, I'll be signing up. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so much. Well, you're very welcome. Thank you so much for having me.